0: I'm losing my my pants, I think. We have been set free. We have been delivered. That comes from here, this choir is singing. Jesus stated it so plainly at the beginning of his ministry. He said, the spirit of God is upon me because God has anointed me to preach the gospel, gospel to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. We've been set free. We, <laughs> oh, oh, will you pray with me? Gracious God indeed. Help us really savor that news, that we have been liberated in you. We are free, and in our freedom, God, help us to then take that mantle of your mission and your ministry and be freedom seekers, justice, peacemakers. In Jesus' name and your many names, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have... um, been traveling with us during this season of transition as we're searching for a new senior pastor. You've gotten to hear from a lot of us, a lot of different voices. And if you've been paying attention, you know one thing about me and the joy I have in the preaching moment is when a good story comes alive from our scripture. Amen? (laughs) And boy, I was licking my chops today. (laughs) Because the Old Testament and the New Testament has got some incredible stories from our sacred text, our scriptures. Widows and resurrection, about people seeing someone else and then God seeing them, about prophets stating the good news and the truth, the vision of God that all shall be free indeed. It just doesn't get any better than this. (laughs) I am excited about today's word. And we're gonna get started right away. And I should warn you, take off your snorkel, put on your oxygen mask. Because we're going in. (laughs) Oh, well. Uh, So So we're going to start with the Old Testament Scriptures, Elijah. Now, uh, we see Elijah come on in 1 Kings chapter 17, and he doesn't really have a whole lot of introduction. We don't get to know a whole lot about Elijah. We just know that he enters our story, God's love story for us in the 9th century B.C., Um, when there was a lot of troubling times for Israel. There was a new king in town. It was King Ahab. Now, Ahab, we do get a little bit of introduction to. Ahab is not such a nice guy. King Ahab, as a matter of fact, the most succinct description given to King Ahab is found in 1630 where it says, none other was as evil as he. So, and let me just tell you, he had some pretty evil ancestors. So, what we learn about Ahab is he was not living to his truest and most highest divine self. So Ahab was um, not such a nice guy. We also see before our scripture readings today, if you look in the introduction and kind of get your hands around this Ahab, he had just married the princess Jezebel. Jezebel um, was a pagan. She came from uh, the city of Sidon, and along with her dowry, she brought some handful of gods, and uh, Ahab had begun to worship these gods. One in particular was Baal, and he had set up a temple for this god. Now, let me just give you a little insight to this god named Baal. He was responsible for rain. He was the rain god for for this. And remember, we're in the middle of the desert here, and rain's kind of important. You've got to eke out every rain you can get for to get a crop for sustenance. And so I guess I guess King Ahab, just to cover all of his bases, decided he would bring along her god Baal along with uh, her other gods and set up temples just to make sure that rain would come. And so this is where we find ourselves in today's story. This is where the scene has kind of been set. So you get a feeling that King Ahab has begun to set up false temples for false gods and the people of Israel are being led astray. He's kind of taking them with him And losing the relevance of God as our primary source of salvation and sustenance and being. So that's the stage. And as you know, when things like this kind are brewing, God gets involved. And God sends truth in and stirs things up a bit to help draw people back into love and peace and hope. And that's where Elijah comes onto the scene. We see that uh, Elijah comes onto the scene and he walks up to King Ahab and Jezebel, and he warns them. Just want to let you know, as the truth uh, teller that I am, as a prophet, that you're about to experience some drought. And I'm sure they laughed at him and and all, but he said, Yep, it's going to get a drought because somebody wants to show you who's really in charge and who really we should be relying on the one true God of Israel. And right after that, the scripture tells us that God says, You might ought to get out of town. And Elijah does that, he gets way out of town and he returns to a place very familiar, the wilderness, and in the wilderness, he is provided for and cared for by ravens. They come and bring him food, and he's positioned himself by a nice little brook. But then the brook runs dry, and God gives Elijah a new word, go to Sidon, you will be cared for by a widow. Now ravens might have been tough, (laughs) but a widow, in Sidon we're talking about the place that Jezebel had come from so he's getting much closer to the sense of danger i'm sure we're a couple of years into the drought now and i'm sure that uh, king ahab and jezebel would like to find this crazy prophet and get their hands on him so this might have been a place of danger for him but more than that a widow we're talking about somebody in a foreign land serving probably foreign gods so this isn't his own this is stranger territory A widow in this time was on the edge of society, was on the very edge of life. They didn't have much to take care of them. If they didn't have a son or a father uh, to to take care of for them, then they might have to turn to prostitution or begging, or really, if, if they were lucky, the community would care for them. So he is coming to get help from a widow. So he gets onto the town, and he sees this widow there, and he... Says to her, "I could use a little food and water." And doesn't that sound preposterous? I read that, and I went like, "That's just crazy." God, it, it can be crazy. <laughs> There's this woman; she is gathering sticks to make her last meal. And the prophet Elijah introduces something and says, "I just want you to break one. Th- I just want you to try one new thing and break up your day." and feed me before you feed yourself. He wants her to come from a place of scarcity. But then he crack opens that little piece of hope, and he offers her the promise of God's upside-down way of things. And he says, and do not be afraid. All will be well. There will be enough. I think it's really interesting to notice in this part of our story that he didn't demand her to state any great truth of faith or uh, who she believed in or what she believed in. And to be honest with you, uh, she probably uh, had lost faith in any God at this point in her life. But she does what what she's asked, and she feeds him first, and just like it was promised, the jug never goes dry. There's enough for her and her household and this crazy prophet living with her asking her to do something crazy. You know, this right here in the story is enough. It's good stuff. We could just stop right here. But isn't it just like God to push us a little bit closer to some truth? Here she's vulnerable enough to believe and hope. And her son dies. Her son dies. The only thing that held her on to this community, the only thing that gave her status. And all again, we find her right back to where she started in the margins of this society, on the edge. She's flung right back into fear and doubt. Salvation, deliverance, it didn't feel so real in this moment. And the interesting thing about this part of the story is I think Elijah, I think he sees her for the first time right here. And we hear it because of his prayer. We hear it because of his prayer. He says, he, he, I mean, everything had been taken away from her. And so he wants to question God in, himself. He says, oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I am staying by killing her son? He is asking a tough question about God's salvation and God's justice. In this moment, he is wrestling with this plan of God. He's been doing everything that's been asked of him, following the steps, doing what uh, he perceived was the way it's supposed to go, bring God's truth and light, and doing things. His salvation, his justice, his protection was intact. But in this moment, he saw her and felt her pain. And we know it because he brought his own flesh to this story. He says, give me your son. And off he goes up to the upper room and he has this conversation with God. And then he lays his own body over this deathly situation and prays for her salvation. In this questioning, in this questioning, he comes to the ultimate truth that God's salvation is, is real for all people but it takes us to partner with God to bring justice into the equation we go back to that widow I think it's important to notice that she had stepped into new faith and was believing but here she had entered um, into a moment of truth and it seems hard But I think it's very familiar. When you've been pushed to the edges of society and in the margins. sometimes it takes a hold of you, and you begin to believe it. And so she reverted to something that's very familiar, to one on the edge. She entered the blame game. That's why she had turned to Elijah. Because you know what? She had gotten very safe in those dark places. She had gotten safe in the margins. And as long as she was in the margins, she didn't have to think about her behavior, her life, her lifestyle. No one even saw it. Certainly not God. But here she was, and she was resorting to an old way as a new believer, resorting to an old thing that felt very familiar, to blame her God. And she went for the juggler because she believed that she was not forgivable, lovable, that God's wrath was real. These are important parts of these stories that we see, and they're so important for us to grab hold of truth in these stories they're so important that jesus's ministry kind of rebuilds the same fact pattern and so if we go to our other scripture reading today in the new testament we see jesus repeating this storyline in luke chapter 7 we see jesus is going to the town of nain and he's got a large crowd following him to go in the city and his disciples. And he's got a large crowd. He's going into Nain. And, but leaving the city is a widow who is on the margins of society because they are carrying her dead son from the town. And she's got a large crowd with her. So you can just kind of see this. You see a crowd coming in to, for life and a crowd leaving for death. And they intersect. And the thing that changes the situation is the Scripture tells us Jesus sees her and has compassion on her. And he says the famous line, do not weep, do not be afraid. Compassion is an incredible gift that we have in this Christian, it's a calling in our Christian ministry. It goes further than pity. Pity is is seeing in a situation and feeling bad for it, but compassion begins with empathy. Empathy is when we sit with it and wrestle with it. And we truly try to get in touch with what's going on in the person beside us. What's going on in the world? What is the injustice they're facing? And then compassion. Only then can compassion well up in you. And you put your skin in the game. Now I heard that phrase from all places from a bylaw committee meeting this week. (laughs) I thought, oh, that could preach skin in the game. That's it. That's my hook. Skin in the game, that's what's happening here. Compassion moves us to put ourselves in this game. Salvation, we are delivered, but we are to become deliverers. We are to put ourselves in it and sit with each other and walk with each other and get to know one another and then make their justice, their salvation real. We are God's partnership. We are in the partnership of salvation and justice. And the truth of the matter is salvation is great, and it's wonderful for the here and after, but God wants it for the here and now. That is God's vision for all people and all life. Salvation equals justice, and we are called to it. We're called to put our skin in the game, and that's what Jesus did in this Scripture. He reached over, and he touched the death with his own skin, and he brought life to it. Brought life to this situation. What an incredible story we have. You are being awfully quiet. (laughs) (laughs) This story is so good. Both of these stories, they tell us about compassion. They tell us that we have to put all religious, both of these, put everything that their religious code aside and they put love first. And I love the way Martin Luther King speaks to this calling that we have as a church. Hear his words. A religion true to its nature seeks not only to integrate men with God, but to integrate men with men and each man with himself. This means at bottom that the Christian gospel is a two-way road. On the one hand, it seeks to change the souls of men and thereby unite them with God. On the other hand, it seeks to change the environmental conditions of men so the soul will have a chance after it's changed. Any religion that professes to be concerned with the souls of men and is not concerned with the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that strangle them and the social conditions that cripple them is a dry-as-dust religion. Amen is right. Jesus, time and time again in his ministry, embraced the suffering of people at the edge of the social fabric, on the margins of the power structures and identifies with the hopelessness of the widow. And once him and Elijah get in touch with the pain of the other and see it, they have no choice but to be moved with compassion. So we are to take notice of the things around us. And only you know, only you know what God would ask of you, what skin in the game looks like for you. Only you know how far God will push you, but this is what I know from these scriptures, it's gonna cost you something. It's going to move you. It's going to move you to go and do something that you've never done. It may mean feeding before you're fed and believing and learning of God's crazy scarcity mentality. It may mean when you're sitting there and you're hearing those voices come back up in you that you're not worthy, you're not lovable, you're not forgivable. It may mean being able to look up And step out and know and feel God's salvation. Your deliverance is real. That is not the truth for you. And if by chance you're in the boat and you've got the life preserver and life is going good, it may mean throwing your life preserver out and getting out and taking a swim and help drag somebody to safety. This is the gospel. I want us to go back to that scripture that we shared in the very beginning, where Jesus announces his ministry in Luke four. And I want us to just put ourselves in it for a minute. Luke four, eighteen through nineteen. The Spirit of God is upon us because God anointed us to preach the gospel to the poor. God has sent us to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Let's put our skin in the game. Amen. Amen. Amen.